Hello and welcome to 120 Outdoors, where the conservation-minded outdoors men and women explore all things hunting and fishing in the lands and waters that make it all happen. Join Chris DePaula and me, Don Klaus, as we discuss the outdoor world in our 120. But wherever you are, we think you just may find this fits your 120 too. Hi, and welcome to 120 Outdoors, and this is episode 42, and we have a special guest for you today. His name is Josh Grund, and he is the Buckeye Bowhunter. Um, Josh is known for his great YouTube channel, and we'll get into that in the interview, um, but uh, we thought it'd be appropriate. Uh, Josh has bagged a nice swamp donkey, and he has time now for us to talk a little bit about the rut and some of the things that he's observed, and Don and I observed similar things in our hunting the past month or so. So we're going to talk deer hunting today. Yeah. Bow hunting. Bow hunting. For deer. Yeah. Now you might think uh, bow hunting, we ought to talk about that before the season rolls around. Well, you kind of got to talk to the bow hunter when a bow hunter can talk. And Josh he, has been in the woods. Yeah. When he's available. And yeah. We've been in the woods. Yeah. I was going to say, we've been in the woods too. So. But even though this is early December, not to fear, there's plenty of bow hunting left in our 120. So, uh, hey, it fits. Yeah, definitely. And folks, once again, we hope you had a great Thanksgiving and sit back and take a listen. This is a great interview with Josh. Okay, welcome to 120 Outdoors. And our special guest tonight for our show this month is Buckeye bow hunter Josh Grund. Josh, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much, Chris, Don. Welcome, Josh. Appreciate you having me here. Yeah, we, we uh, Don and I enjoy your YouTube channel. Uh, we've watched, I think, every show you have out there, and we just watched the one you put posted today, as a matter of fact, on the, the beautiful donkey, the swamp donkey you shot, uh, what was it, November 8th? Is that right? Yeah, it was November 8th. No, yeah, November great. 8th. Um, so I just want, we wanted to get you on the show to talk a little bit about um, you know bow hunting and, and all the little details involved in that and uh, before we get into the uh, heart of the conversation here josh take us through your your uh, youtube channel and let's talk a little bit about that because it kind of ties in nicely what we're going to discuss tonight yeah absolutely um so my youtube channel is uh buckeye bow hunter uh there is another youtube channel called buckeye bow hunters so without the s is my channel um but yeah I've been, I've been running this youtube channel for the last like two two and a half years um three seasons i think and it's just me uh i do all the editing all the filming i self-film everything and uh come up with all the ideas and all that stuff so um i guess what you see is what you get uh on the videos um but yeah i kind of i I kind of started out um, filming like back in college and uh, me and my buddies really got into it. Um, I don't know. I was probably 22, 23 and we did it for a few years and then kind of got away from it. And I think, uh, you know, cell phones have gotten so good with videoing stuff, right? Like anybody can video anything now. And I was hunting, I don't know, a few years back, I guess, before I started the channel. And I was like, uh, had a couple does come in and I decided, Hey, I'm going to film this on my phone. And I don't know, it just brought me back to when I was in college and stuff and how much I enjoyed that. And I just kind of went head first into it and been doing it ever since. So 
I got to tell you, Josh, I, I love the, the what you see is what you get aspect of your videos because, you know, you didn't shy away from uh, from showing when there's problems. You had problems with your bow. Th- then you had problems um, when a, when the deer when find the, you out. The, yeah, the doe busted you. With, yeah. with scent. Yep. And uh, I, and those are those are just realities. Oh, yeah, that, hey, we go through it all every day. We're yeah. out there, you know. Yep, yep. I mean, you can, you know, a lot of these shows, and I love all of them. Don't get me wrong; I watch all these YouTube channels and stuff. But yep. um, some of them, you know, they can portray it as like, you know, I like to just show everything that happens. If I make, you know, stupid mistakes, if I mess up, or you know, I, I had a video earlier this year where I took a shot on a doe and it was it was a kind of a bad shot you know and um a lot of i think people would kind of shy away from showing that but it's kind of part of hunting and i think it's really important that like you know especially for like new people who are trying to get into hunting like to show that stuff like this is what you can expect and you know so don't be super surprised that something like this happens i guess yeah that makes sense you know it was interesting to me too in that last video Josh, um, you were talking about when you we really couldn't find that buck. You shot it, and you were basically on your hands and knees for several hours looking for blood. I oh, had yeah. the, I had the same thing happen to me. What was that in the end of October, right, Don? Yeah, mm-hmm. that last week of October, I I never did find the deer, and I, I looked for I had blood trail. I find it on and off for six hours. I looked for it. I mean, it's real. It happens to all of us. Um, it's not good, but it's part of the game. And I think you showing that and, and the anxiety and then the raw emotion of you when you found that buck. I mean, I know what that's all about, too. How, oh, it's just a huge relief. It right? is. How exciting that is. All the work you put in and then and then at the end of the day, you actually made a good shot um, and, and you found yeah, the deer, you know. And, you know, I'd still, I, when I, when I, you know, dress the deer and. I, that arrow went through both lungs so uh who knows why it didn't bleed very well but it was like pin drops and i followed that hmm. blood trail for four to five hours it was um like i said and you get in your own head right like i <laughs> i shot that deer at like 8 a.m and i was so confident right after the shot like i, I smoked him right and then uh you know within 10, 20 minutes, I couldn't find the arrow and the blood was kind of bad right at the shot. Like the whole situation looked different in my head, you know, and mm-hmm. I was seeing things completely different and it's, it's really easy to spiral and, you know, but just to keep at it and, you know, um, I guess not give up is the big thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it's all part of the game. Well, so. it was a good outcome, though. So that's right. Uh, a plan well, I came. I appreciate you guys watching. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so now we're going to get into the the meat of the conversation here. Yeah. How you got to that? Yeah. Happy how you ending. got to that thing? And let, let's yeah, talk. Sure. Let's talk about the rut. I mean, you know, Don and I were out there. I know you were, and all your buddies were out there too. Um, and from the primary rut, let's talk about what we had here this year because it was another goofy year. And I think this is how many years in a row, Josh, have we had crazy weather that first week in November is 60s? I mean, no rain. I mean, it was like, you know, early September weather almost that first yep. week in November. And then, you know, all of a sudden we get a change that second week and things start to happen. So let's talk about that first. Let's talk about the weather. Have you noticed the same thing or is that something that it's not really happening? No, I've definitely noticed that at least like the last two years, I think you know, that first week in November is abnormally warm, definitely puts a, you know, a damper on deer movement. Um, 
everything's mostly happening at night, you know. Uh, and then, like, this year and last year, I think it was that second week in November or, you know, the 5th or the 6th when we get that first big cold front, and then you just see a, an explosion of activity, right, because they've been bottled up and only doing their thing at night um, up until that point. And that's what happened this year, too. I mean, I, the, um, we had that on our cameras, too. I mentioned it before we got on air that Don and I noticed that on our cameras, and we actually saw it in the field. All of a sudden, something happened that second week. Um, we were getting daytime activity, and and uh, it just looked a lot better. That's for sure. Oh, yep, yep. And you know, I like so for like most people, right? I, I get a a vacation time, you know, and I have to put in for that vacation like well in advance, right? And it gets approved, so I'm kind of stuck with those days, and that happens to me every year. And normally, I'll take off that first and second week in November. So, you know, when I, when I, when I'm on vacation, I'm on vacation to deer hunt and, you know, no matter what the weather is, I'm going hunting. Right. Uh, um, and this year I did, I hunted, um, you know, from, I think October 31st or October 30th up to November 8th when I killed my buck, that's like 11 straight days. And 10 of those days, nine of those days was in like the fifties. Right. And the day I actually killed my buck, it was, uh, probably the coldest morning i think up into that point i think it was in like the 30s or the high 30s or something like that that morning so there was a lot of you know deer movement going on and and i think uh you know stop me if i'm running too long but i think the um the big thing when it is warm like that is like really focusing on mornings right mm-hmm. it, like looking at the looking at the weather ahead of time and you know i would <laughs> You know, when you're looking at the forecast and you have that high and that low, Mm -hmm. that low is pretty much like the coldest it's going to get for that day. And it's going to be that temperature like when you're walking into your stand that morning. Right. And like that's, you know, those big bucks, they they got those winter coats on. They're not going to be moving that much. Obviously, it's in my opinion, if you're on vacation, it's worth it to sit all day. You never know. I've definitely uh, buck I killed last year was at three o'clock in the afternoon and pretty sure it was like 65 degrees out so you can definitely have an opportunity but if you you know you only got a certain amount of time to hunt and it's warm out during november i would try to focus all your times on those all your time in the woods on those cold mornings because that's when you're going to get that most of that buck movement you know what i mean yeah yeah Hmm. okay um the other question that kind of ties into this too you mentioned all day sits uh, what is your what are your thoughts on that, Josh? Do you do that? Number one, and then the number two. My concern is what Don and I have is we don't like to put pressure on some of these properties we're hunting are relatively small, and I always feel like if I'm sitting there all day, I'm stinking up the place, you know, with my scent, and if I'm not seeing a lot of activity, maybe it's best for me to get out of there and just give the property a rest for till the next front comes through or some change in weather. Is do you feel the same way on that? Uh, yeah, you know, I think I think everything's very um, situational, and on a lot of properties, I think that's um, that's definitely uh, the case. You know, um, I, I the way I had like my strategy, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty mobile hunter, um, and I have several properties that I hunt. Uh, like this year, I probably had five or six different properties spread across a um, 
you know, Northeastern Ohio. And if, if I'm on vacation, like I said, I'm going to try and hunt every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to spread out all of those hunts, you know, between those six or seven properties as much as I possibly can. If okay. That makes sense to me. Yeah. No, I understand what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And then you're limiting how much pressure you're putting on each of those properties. And I know a lot of people don't have, you know, that at their disposal. They right. got their, you know, their, their one farm that they can hunt. And if that's the case, then yeah, I, I would probably limit, you know, how much I'm hunting on that property all day sits wise during the rut. Um, cause a lot of times all day sits don't make sense for certain stand locations. You know, it makes more sense to hunt this stand in the morning and this stand in the evening. That's right. Yeah. I agree. You know with what that. I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I think a lot of times you're wasting, you know, the better part or half of a day. If you're, you get in a stand and you sit there and you stay all day, you know, not only that you're pressuring that stand more throughout the day, but like we said, like depending on the location, the odds of a deer coming through there might be much lower during certain times of the day, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, we know from your videos that you're not averse to movement, so... uh, No, that's right. Yeah, if it works, it works. Yeah, and like I said, I do do like all-day sits, and I do have different farms where, you know, once, like, um, like the buck I killed this year, that farm, I guess this is a good example that farm is a very linear long farm it's like probably 200 yards wide and like a half mile long and the only access i have is on uh the one like short you know uh side so in order to get to like the back of the property i have to walk through the whole thing so i can only really access that property on one wind north wind if i want the wind to be in my face right yep but you know, the eighth, I knew that day was going to be cold. And sometimes, you know, it's sometimes, you know, I, I guess I'll do exactly what I'm saying not to do. <laughs> I'll just go for broke, you know, and just take my chances that I'm going to just walk through that bedding area, get all the way to the back, turn around, get the wind in my face, and then hunt from that point on for the rest of the day. And once I'm back there, I'm back there all day. Right. Yeah. And that ended up working out. But, um, I think during the rut, you can get away with a lot more than you think, especially on smaller properties, because a lot of these small properties in Northeastern Ohio, if, you know, in November, you, if you're walking through there and you bust a deer out, there may be another giant buck a half mile away on his way to you has no idea that happened. You know what I mean? So I think you can, unless you're hunting like a specific deer, I think you can get away with sometimes doing that every once in a while, just like, throwing caution to the wind and just getting to that spot where you think it's going to happen. You know what I mean? Yep. And then go camping. Yeah, for, that's, for that's the interesting. Day. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. Moving on, Josh. What about, yeah, sure. what about uh, a hot sign, like a, a, a nice active scrape or seeing presence of rubs? Do you put a lot of weight on those in your selection of a site? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, and you know that kind of comes down to being mobile too like um being able to stay on that hot sign and scout and kind of hang wherever you find it throughout the entire season um i think scrapes and rubs you know mixed in with historical like trail camera data and all that stuff is 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think scrapes and rubs, like I definitely pay attention to them a lot throughout the entire year. Um, as the rut starts to ramp up, I think scrapes kind of really play an important part in my strategy. I love hunting over scrapes. I've had a bunch of success hunting over scrapes. Cameras tell me that bucks, you know, big mature bucks, they're hitting scrapes that, you know, late October, early November, once you get into like the heart of the rut, like, uh, you know, that, that, uh, the actual rut or lockdown phase or whatever they call it, uh, November 11th, 12th, 13th, when those deer are chasing and cruising and locking down with those, I think a lot of that sign goes cold real quick, but leading up to that point, I think like the buck I killed this year, the buck I killed last year, those, those were all my stands were over scrapes. Those deer weren't necessarily, I don't think coming in to hit those scrapes, but those scrapes are an indication that, you know, does are coming through there on a regular basis and yes. those bucks are interested in that area. Yes. yes. Right. Yep. So I think just being just, you, you may not even have to be able to shoot to the scrape, but being downwind of that scrape and knowing where that deer movement is coming from, um, is super important to me you know if i'm walking through and there's different scrapes right some scrapes you gotta i guess you know and the more you look at them and the more you learn and the more you're putting cameras on different scrapes you're gonna find out like what scrapes are actually scrapes you want to hunt over and what scrapes you don't want to hunt over so like scrapes along field edges those are probably all happening at night or scrapes real close to you know, um, roads or whatever, if you're, if you're hunting public land, those are probably all nighttime activity. You find those, those big car hood size scrapes, you know, way back in the woods adjacent to doe bedding areas. Um, those are the scrapes that I like to hunt, you know, and sometimes they're hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you do find them, I think that's like, and, and that's why staying mobile is great. Cause they, they, a lot of times they'll be in the same spots every year, but, um, you know, being able to stay mobile and jump around and scout throughout the whole year with that stand on my back is a uh, is a huge part of my success. I think you know, and be able to find something like that, hang and hunt, and just see what happens. Absolutely. Now, talking about the scrapes again, are are these mock scrapes, Josh, um, or are they naturals? Well, I kind of do a little bit of both. Um, the the mock scrapes I've had. I've had a lot of luck with several of them, um, I guess. So I, I learned this from um, the Whitetail Solutions YouTube channel, I think, Jeff Sturgis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's got a great channel. He always yeah. talks about hanging grapevines. Yep. And I started doing that like three, four years ago. It like blew my mind mm-hmm. how well it works. Like you put – you just – you know, put one up in August or, you know, late June, July or something like that, put a camera on it. And immediately there are going to be deer rubbing their, you know, orbital glands and putting their scent down on that grapevine. And then the earlier, I think you can get it, um, you know, set, those deer are going to take over it and it's going to kind of become a part of their habits. Right. And, uh, I have a mock scrape that I put in probably, I don't know, two years ago now, three years ago. I think this will be the third season. And I have had so many mature bucks hit this scrape. Like even this year, like during daytime, it's, it's actually, like I said, it's kind of mind blowing. I've had several encounters with mature bucks on this mock scrape where they've come in, work the scrape. And it's just 
literally grapevine with, um, you know, take a piece of rope or take a piece of wire and tie it to a tree and cut it off about belly button high. And, uh, but what I found out is, is the location is kind of like the important thing, right? You can't just put them anywhere. Um, they gotta be where the deer want to be, I guess as simple as that sounds, but, um, so on using it on a trail, in other words, you're saying right on a deer trail. Yeah. Using it as a, like just a, a supplement to like, I like to put them wherever I have a camera or where I put cameras every year or wherever I put, um, a deer stand or wherever, you know, if I have a permanent stand, I'll put one up. And if, if deer start hitting it, you know, all that is, is just an extra incentive. If, if a buck is, you know, cruising, you know, early November and he's coming through this draw, maybe he'll take this trail because he wants to check this scrape instead of taking this other trail. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. One more thing you're stacking in your favor, I think, but the mock scrapes are awesome. Obviously I think nothing's better than like the real thing. Right. Um, if you can find one of those, uh, just car hood scrapes, it's tore up tracks all in it. And, um, the big thing to me, you know, you find a lot of scrapes where the, um, the, uh, what do they call it? The branch. What do they always call it? Lick, licking branch. Yeah. The licking branch. Sorry. Yeah. Escape my mind. That's right. Where the licking branch isn't like, uh, tore up or broken. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I think those are just bucks that are walking around frustrated. They make a scrape. They'll probably never come back to it. Hmm. You want to find, you want to hunt over those ones, in my opinion, that the licking branch is tore up, the grounds tore up. And, you know, those are the ones that are being used very often. Probably what I've noticed is <clears throat> the bigger and more mature a deer is, more he's going to work that licking branch and break it and beat it up. And, you know, especially like if you ever see like uh, the pin oaks mm-hmm. where they'll put those scrapes under pin oaks and those pin oak, that wood is like really tough and hard to break and if that's busted up that's a big deer doing that yeah yeah so they got better tools to work with yeah they got a they got some some uh, antlers there to push around that's for sure yes, yes they do now let me ask you that um this kind of all ties into these the, the scrapes and the rubs and I'm, I'm sure you're are you focusing on transition areas um i noticed on your last video that that was one of the keys that you were pushing is that something you work you try to focus on all year yeah so transition areas and transition lines so i think they're kind of um i kind of view those as like two separate things um transition areas are something i like to kind of hunt during you know early season when i'm trying to catch a buck going from bed to food you know or maybe he's got a scrape or a rub line coming through this transition area where you got, you know, say a big swamp bedding area, you got a crop field and maybe like some open hardwoods between with some acorns or something. That'd be like a transition area to me during the rut. Um, I like to focus on what I call transition lines. I don't know if that's the right terminology for it, but it's where you have like that sharp change in habitat. Right. And what I've noticed and where I've had a lot of success is, you know, if you have, say, like a clear cut that butts up to some open hardwoods, getting on the downwind side of that that line there, that transition area, um, you know, as long as there's sign there. And a lot of times if you find 
you know, an area like that, there's going to be scrapes, there's going to be rubs because there's most likely does bedding in that thicker area, you know, a clear cut or swamp or whatever's creating that transition line. And uh, if you can get on the downwind side of that bedding area or that transition line, a lot of times what I've noticed, like I said, is just bucks cruising that. And, you know, hunting in like Northeastern Ohio, a lot of these smaller properties, it's really hard to kind of find like those traditional pinch points and funnels, right? Like if you hunt 40 acres, you may not have that like two crop fields with a, you know, a tree line connecting like two big pieces of woods or a river with a, you know, a strip of woods next to it. Like, so you got to get kind of creative on finding these, you know, funnels or whatever pinch points, what's, what's going to, you know, congregate deer movement. And that's a big one is, you know, several of my stands, um, permanent stands that I have up, I do hunt some permanent stands, um, are on these transition lines. Cause just annually every year they get so much buck travel during November. Um, it's, uh, just a, um, you know, they want to be close to that security cover. They want to be downwind of where does are bedded. Um, it's just a really good, really good spot in my opinion. I know a spot like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like, yeah, we were talking before that. Yeah. So it sounds like that's kind of like where you killed your butt. Yeah. It, it's exactly yeah. where, exactly where. Well, well, when the plan doesn't bring them to you, Josh, uh, let's talk about some of the other tools to, to get them there. Um, you know, there are, there are a lot of things that can, can be had out there. There's rattling and, and grunting and, and such. Uh, tell us how how and and if you apply any of those things yeah i'm a i'm a huge proponent of calling um i love my grunt calls i love my rattling horns but um i think in moderation i think uh again hunting in northeastern ohio you guys hunt ohio it's it's um very pressured right we're Mm -hmm. hunting pressured deer Mm -hmm. um this isn't kansas or iowa and I think, um, you know, especially if you're wanting to hold out for a more mature deer, by the time these deer hit five, six years old, like they've heard everything in the book. And I think if you listen, you know, if you listen to wild deer out in the woods, um, I mean, I could probably count on two hands and two feet how many deer I've actually heard grunt and, you know, bleat in my lifetime. Uh, it just it doesn't happen very often and when it does happen it's quiet it's not a lot every once in a while you get a, a rowdy buck right but um i think trying to be as realistic as possible with your calls is what's going to get it done um i i had a video earlier this year where i talked about rattling mm-hmm. i i like rattling a lot um when i do rattle i really only rattle i guess the only time I carry them with me is like late October, if that makes sense. I, I guess when it comes to calling, excuse me, when it comes to calling, I like to be, it's very situational. I, I'm not a big fan of blind calling unless the situation calls for it. And I guess the best, best way to kind of explain that would be like um, that video I'm talking about. I'm not sure what episode it was, but, um, 
I was set up very close to a bedding area late October where I had had several pictures of a buck I was trying to shoot um, in and out of that bedding area for the last few days. And I was pretty sure he was bedded close to there. Um, I had this day off, so I was going hunting. I remember it was pretty warm. Uh, I got in there as tight as I could to where I thought he was bedded, hung my stand, super quiet. And then my plan was to kind of wait until like about a half hour before dark and then just hit those horns together like two younger bucks kind of sparring, hoping to get him to just kind of pop his head up and be interested and get him to kind of leave his bed 20 minutes early and come looking to see what's going on. Um, that's kind of how I apply rattling a lot of times before the rut. Once the rut hits, to be honest, I kind of leave the rattling horns at home. I think at that point, those deer have kind of heard that so much <laughs> that mm-hmm. you're kind of hurting yourself more often than, than not. Um, I've seen so many deer just, you know, you hit the rattling horse together, they just turn tail and run the other way. Uh, but, you know, obviously some people it works for very well. Um, I've just never had a ton of luck rattling during the rut. Um, I have had luck rattling late October when the situation, very specific situations call for it, I guess. Hmm. Interesting. So, so how about the grunt? Uh, is that something that'll be in the pack every time through the, through the rut? Yep. Yep. I carry that grunt tube with me pretty much all year long. Um, I got two different grunt grunt tubes that I carry. I got a, a one that's like super realistic, kind of quiet. Um, I'll carry that one with me up until like, you know, I start rut hunting, I guess. Um, and then I have like one of those buck roars that I use during the rut. Cause it's a little louder. And a lot of times, <clears throat> hunting during the rut i want to be able to reach out you know you can see a lot longer the leaves are off the trees if i got a deer to 250 yards out i want to be able to you know reach out have him actually hear me um you get if you got a super quiet grunt call or something that doesn't reach out that far um yeah you're gonna have trouble getting those deer to hear you they're walking through grass they're walking through leaves um i think that's that's the biggest thing so i'm i'm like i said i'm not a big fan of blind calling um if i am gonna call to a buck so say i'm say i'm in a spot and um i see a buck out 200 yards i pull my grunt call out hopefully i've i'm in a spot set up where it's super thick around me right and that buck can't see straight to the base of my tree they're so good at pinpointing exactly where that sound came from. I'm sure you guys have called in deer and they just walk straight to the base of your stand. And you're like, how the heck did he do that? That's the truth. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, the big thing to me, it's just like Turkey hunting. If you're calling to a Turkey and you got a wide open field in front of you and he can't see the hen that's calling to him, he's going to sit out there at 80, 90 yards strutting and never come in. He's going to wait for her to show herself. Right. But if you if you're in the woods in the hardwoods and you're calling to a hen or you're calling to a gobbler, he's gonna he's gotta come looking for you. And now he's gonna he, he knows about where you're at, but now he's gonna walk right into you because he can't see twenty, thirty yards. You know what I mean? Right, right. Same same thing with deer. I would I don't want them to be able to see um 
where that you know that that grunt that I I made is coming it's from. coming from I'm, right yep I want them to have to come looking for me and hopefully that puts them right in my lap I had a situation this year actually where I was in a stand it almost worked out not quite but um, I had a deer out about 150 200 yards <clears throat> and this is another point I guess I wanted to make was like I said less is more right I grunted this I just saw him cruising he's just walking um, across the swamp I could literally just see his like head in his his rack which was pretty cool um, grunted to him one time I ended up grunting to him twice and I didn't even need to do that grunted to him one time he stops and he looks at me and that's a big thing too I think sometimes people want to be too quiet with it if if a buck doesn't stop and look at you when you grunt he probably didn't hear you in my opinion um i've had that a lot where i'll grunt and they just keep moving i think if if that buck hears you he's gonna stop and look at least and decide whether he wants to come or keep going right this buck i grunted he stopped immediately and he was just staring my way and then as soon as he started to turn and walk i grunted again which i didn't need to but he ended up that's all i did was one grunt and then an extra grunt and because he was moving when i did that second grunt i don't think he even heard that he came all the way 150 yards across the swamp to the base of my tree <laughs> and the wind the wind was um not the best so he ended up busting me at like 40 yards but he uh he was coming right in if i would if the wind would have stayed true um he would have had to walk right in front of me and give me a pretty good shot but didn't work out that way okay was that was on your video i remember seeing that now that you mentioned yeah, yeah, it. That, was, that was, was a nice fine. buck. Yeah, that was a nice buck too. November fourth or fifth yeah. or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It, um, and that was another one of those days. That's why I say it was it was seventy degrees that day. Yeah. That was one o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So, yeah, you definitely get, you know, when it's warm like that, you definitely get limited movement. It's not gonna be like a crazy rut like everybody wants, but the opportunities are there if you stick it out, you know. Yeah. Now, talking about um decoys now. Have you had any success using decoys? I know a lot of guys in the Midwest, that's a big thing. Have you tried that here in Ohio? I have never tried that. I'd be interested to hear if you guys have tried that. No, we, we've thought about it. Um, don't, of course, you can't do it during gun season, obviously, but we've thought about it but never did it. Yeah, I, you know, I would love to <clears> – <throat> I've always loved the idea of, like, the – you know, there's, like, Montana decoys that yeah. you can just hold. Yeah. And, like – you know stock up on a buck like i would love to do that if i if i had a guy that would film me or something <laughs> i would probably try it but yeah. that'd be pretty hard to do and film at the same time but uh yeah i'm i'm sure it works uh, you know i would assume sitting over a tree stand or sitting on a tree stand like over a field or somewhere where you would put a decoy you know i'm sure it's probably like anything else 50 50 right 50 50 chance if 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 a deer sees it he's going to come in or not um i'm sure a lot of things could go wrong and uh using a decoy and and honestly i carry so much uh camera gear in the woods with me and decoys are probably the last thing yeah I yeah no i, I hear you yeah but yeah. but yeah I, I wouldn't mind giving it a try once or twice and seeing seeing how it works out yeah because I, I just wonder if, if guys are doing that here in ohio i'm sure they are i just don't know anybody that is i literally i don't think i've ever talked to anybody personally yeah, yeah. that has a decoy or use decoys and yeah. turkey and i use a ton of decoys yeah yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, I didn't uh I didn't think about your your video and I'm guessing your pack's a little heavier than oh, ours. Oh, it's got but... everything, batteries and everything else in there. Good lord, I can't imagine what you're dragging in there. Oh, it's yeah, it's um it's not that bad like the the setup I got, I've kind of perfected it over the years. It's like the bare minimum of what I need. I got, you know, six or seven batteries usually, a main camera. I run a GoPro, which is like all my supplemental footage, B-roll, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, I just bought the uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear Wolf Pack this year, which is kind of is kind of made for like self videographers. It has like a padded pouch for like a camera in the bottom, and it, it's actually been pretty nice. It's a little heavier than normal, but I mean, you know, like we keep talking about, most of the time maximum i'm walking 600 yards from my truck like you know i'm not really counting ounces um, yeah we're not in now when i was in uh new york earlier this year <laughs> i wish i didn't have a camera but um yeah no i get definitely, it definitely gets heavy i'll bet and time consuming setting all that stuff up is, oh i can imagine lot. taking it down too it, it, in the evening when you're done for the day jeez yeah and your hands are freezing yeah. yeah it could be it can be a lot for sure but i i enjoy every minute of it though well you talked about the buck bust in you and that kind of leads us to uh, another topic that uh, that is a big deal and uh I mean, I'll ask it like this. How important is scent control? We know how important it is, but we want to hear your take on it and uh, and what what uh, tips or tricks you have on and, that. And, and, and that, too, Josh, do you scent as a lure, too? Okay, so go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, to be honest, guys, you could ask me the same question tomorrow. I'll probably give you a different answer. I, <laughs> I change my mind on this stuff so often. Right now, like this year, I have literally done nothing when it comes to like scent control as you would like, you know, like carbon clothes or washing your clothes or shower. I mean, I obviously shower, but like showering and scent free soap. Um, uh, I, I haven't done any of that this year or last year at all, really either. And I've just, I feel like um, the, the big, the big thing is just, for scent control is controlling where your scent is going. I think wind direction is the most important thing, 100%. Now, does all that other stuff diminish your scent and help you a little bit? I'm sure it does do something. You know, Ozonics, my one buddy, he swears by his Ozonics. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it definitely eliminates some scent. But to me, like I, I did that stuff for years. I had the scent blocker clothes. I used the scent killer. And I had scent lock. I had, you know, dry dry your clothes, hang them outside, put them in a tote with leaves. Like I've done all that for years, and um, you know, cover up scents and you know, putting. I don't think it's a very popular thing now, but I used to put fox pee on my boots, you know, and uh, I just. I don't think it's, in my opinion, I don't think it's worth all the trouble. I would rather spend all that time scouting, hunting, editing videos, and just play the wind, be really smart about my access and entry routes, especially early season. You know, I'm trying to hunt just the perimeters. I'm not diving in and, 
you know, going for broke or whatever, like we talked about sometimes during the rut. Like, right, right. I think that's the most important is just watching where you're leaving your scent, walking in and walking out and making sure you're not hunting stands with marginal wins. And I, th- I think that's what kills deer because I, I even when I was doing all that scent control stuff, I'd walk across an open bean field and I'd still get busted. I've had so many deer bust me. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. whether you're doing there's their noses are like that's what you got to beat, right? Everything yeah. else is is uh, not as difficult. It's still difficult, but not as difficult. That, that, that their noses, they just you know they pick up everything, and there is I don't think any amount of you know products or whatever. I think a lot of it is just a. Uh, in my opinion, to make money, you know, and it's like camo. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Like, I don't think you even need camo to kill a deer, but I buy it because it looks cool, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know what I no, mean. No, I, I hear me, you. It, it makes me confident, right? So, yeah. like, whatever makes you confident, I guess, would be my answer. Like, if going through all that stuff and changing outside in your underwear, you know, when you get to your hunting location, and if that gives you the confidence to sit in your stand and you know pay attention and you know be present the whole time and think you're going to be successful then by all means do it you know whatever whatever gets you there but i just choose to spend that time doing other things you know and and also gathering up that handful of milkweed fuzzies we've seen you sprinkle on those (laughs) yes i'm always i'm always looking for milkweed checking checking where the wind's going (laughs) Yep. I think, uh, you know, I use one of those, uh, I think I'm the biggest proponent of milkweed. I I just tell, I think if, if everybody just had a little pouch full of milkweed, get rid of your, um, you know, squeeze bottles with the the powder or whatever, like that's all you need. It's free. You know, you can find them in most fields or most, most farms somewhere, you know, along the edges are going to have milkweed somewhere. They, milkweed has taught me so much about um you know wind thermals which way the wind's going where your stand is and that's another thing we can get into if you want like thermals i think i've kind of really started to get into trying to understand those in the last like few years and i think it's made a huge difference too um and having that milkweed lets you see all that stuff and where your wind's going and what it's doing far out like 115 you know uh 80 100 yards out from your stand and because i don't know how many times you guys have been busted by a deer you got the wind blowing in your face and you're like how what the heck happened yeah how did that deer even know i was here like and it's just it's a mystery well i bet if you drop that milkweed that milkweed's gonna float out away from your tree away from that deer you know hit the hillside bank left and go right down to where that deer was standing you know what i'm saying so it, it just really opens your eyes to like all the things you're missing where when you're using that powder it disappears in like what three feet and you don't see all that that extra information yep i want to come back to your your comment about thermals here in a second okay yeah, sure. uh, all right but i wanted to ask you a little bit more on the scent um do you use scent as i mentioned earlier about for a lure a scent like a, a buck scent or whatever have you tried that do you use that um, you know, I've, I've dabbled with it a little bit in the past. I don't, I don't use it any more very often, I guess. Um, <clears throat> you know, and 
take my opinions for what they're worth. If you, if you know your listeners or you guys are, you know, love using this stuff, like I'm sure it works for certain people. I've just never really had a lot of success with it. The, I guess the way the way I look at it is, you know, if you're gonna like we're talking about deer sense of smell, right? Right. Um, I just think I think a lot of that stuff is synthetic. You know, I think if you can get that deer pee or something straight from the source, you know, say you kill a deer and you cut off that tarsal gland and you go hang that from a scrape or something. Sure. I think that's pretty darn realistic, but a lot of that stuff you buy from Walmart or buy from the store or whatever that tink 69, that's a lot of that's synthetic, you know, there's no way they can. Yeah. I I, ha- I haven't personally had any success with that either. I was just I thought it was me. I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm not using this stuff right. I don't know. No, and, and if you think about it, right, you want in order for that deer to smell the the scent you're using, he's got to be downwind, right? Yeah. So he's going to smell you too. Yeah, you know? that's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, even if you took a bath in buck urine or whatever, he's going to smell you. You know? Yeah, and, Don't and, do if, that, and if no, that's I won't. not the case, say say you put it on a on a trail and he walks between you and it, like you would have shot him anyways. So what's the point? Yeah. And all you're doing is laying out more scent to walk out there and put it on a on a limb or whatever and walk back to your tree stand where i'd rather just leave all that you know virgin ground and, and not mess with any of that if that makes sense yeah that makes total sense to me that's basically what i've observed i, I just it hasn't worked for me and i don't know why now i i, I kind of have it you feel the same way just, <laughs> yep absolutely yeah. now my question on the thermals and, and i'm going to give you a scenario what what we're dealing with and and you know where we are in northeast ohio it's flat as a pancake literally there's yep. there's no elevation at all okay how much do i need to be concerned with thermals in a place like that i pay attention to thermals a lot um i think even though it's flat right there's always you know some subtle variation in elevation and you know what i've noticed so i kind of what what really made me start thinking about this a lot more was um a specific stand i'm thinking of there's a uh it's on the frank farm if you watch any of my videos yeah and there's a there's a uh, a big bedding area at the south end of this farm that is used by you know a different mature buck almost every year it holds some kind of mature buck early season and the past few years i would get pictures of you know a mature buck during daylight and uh and i'll go in you know in an evening uh with the wind in my face you know say it's a southwest wind and then you always get you know towards the evening that wind dies down right mm-hmm. and every single time so this stand is kind of up on this little knob and there's a big swamp with a lot of water um, to the south of me. And there's some islands out there, and that's where these bucks will bed. And they'll they'll work out across this knob to head to the bean fields in the evening. And every single time, when the, if that wind dies down, if, if that wind stays steady in the evening, golden. But if that wind dies down in the evening and you let that milkweed go, it literally will just get pulled straight towards that water, towards that swamp. 
Hmm. And what's happening is, you know, cooler air sinks, right? And I'm sure if you guys have done any, um, you know, uh, reading about it, I'm sure you know yeah. this. But yeah. um, just in case your viewers don't, uh, you know, in the morning, you got rising thermals. And in the evening, you got sinking thermals. Because what happens is um, in the morning, usually you'll have... The sun will come up. You'll have sinking thermals all night. And then what happens is the sun will come up. It'll heat up the ground. And then that air close to the ground will heat up first. And then that hot air will rise. So there's a, there's a lot of stands that I have that are great morning stands, as long as you can get a strong thermal like that, where it's all flat all around you. But you'll notice if you, like, you know, blow your breath, if it's a colder morning, you'll see your breath just going straight up. Mm-hmm. And you're pretty much bulletproof on a day like that. If there's not a lot of wind in the morning up until about, you know, 2, 2.30 in the afternoon, depending when that sun starts going down. And then you're going to get that cold air um, sinking. So what happens, like in the spot I was talking about, um, where I was hunting these mature bucks next to the swamp, that that wind dies down and that thermal takes over. And it just starts dropping straight down into that swamp where those bucks are coming from. And there's not that much elevation there, but it's very apparent. You drop pilkweed, you just watch it happen. And I've noticed this in so many different places um, where you wouldn't think. uh, The way I think about it is in the evening, just pretend like you're in your tree stand. And if there's no wind, just dump a giant bucket of water, right, and watch for that pretend like you could see where that water would go that's where your scent's going to go and it's tough in a lot of these places because those deer are going to be bedded in those low areas that's where a lot of the thick cover is swamps you know and if you're set up on the edge of that and you got that good wind all day that dies down now your scent's getting pulled down into that swamp okay where those bucks are. that makes sense does that make sense absolutely so it's it, to me it's very important and i think it was a huge part of the game that i was missing for many years and you know watching uh you know dan infault he was the guy who like watching a lot of his videos kind of made it click for me i was like, like oh man like he's hunting hills and all this stuff paying attention to thermals but yeah. it's to, it's definitely very apparent even in flat ground you know and i've hunted in, um you know in like areas that are like super flat and are still it's still in the mornings you get that that pool and it's it's different in the mornings though you got to remember too is that that thermal doesn't start rising until the sun heats up the ground so you'll have a whole you know hour or so of daylight before you start getting that thermal so that's something you got to keep in mind if you're going into a, you know, a morning set and you're banking on that thermal, it might make more sense to walk in there after daylight. Okay. You know, climb okay. into your stand once that thermal is taken over. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Give it a chance to get the, get it happening. Yeah. We, we yeah. might have to do a whole nother podcast on this, just the thermals. Hmm. Seriously. Hmm. It's super complicated. It's super it interesting. Is. It is. Uh, like, but it's, um, it's like a whole nother aspect. And that's where that, that milkweed is super important because you can then like wind map every single stand location you have. 
and learn what the thermals are doing when you have a seven mile an hour east wind in that stand. And then what if it's a 10 mile an hour east wind? It might do something different. What if it's a southwest wind? What happens in the evening when yeah. it dies down? You know, it's like, and you like, I try to keep notes as best as I can. And they call it wind mapping for a lot of my best stands. So I know exactly what that wind's doing when the weather channel says it's a southwest wind and you walk in there and you're like it's not doing anything like yeah you know, i've had that happen guys. yeah yeah it's like most of the time yeah. you know what i mean you walk in there and you're like this is not right so you can keep track of that and um you know pay attention to what those winds are doing and keep notes and it definitely helps out in my opinion no that that's interesting stuff we're going to set aside a bunch of milkweed, Chris. Uh, we, we've yeah. been planting it for the last couple yeah. of years well, anyway. We, we so. have some. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There you go. Yep. All right. Hey, Josh, we're going to switch gears. You've sure. already you've already told us that, that you uh, operate from some fixed stands, and we know that you're not averse to moving around, too. So mm-hmm. speaking to the moving around, uh, you know, what uh, what do you like to, to take with you to do that to accomplish your – your portability in your hunting um you want to know like the brand i use oh you don't have to get into brands you can but uh but just uh what what the generic uh flavor of the i mean you're not using a saddle now are you josh yet or or, no i i don't use a saddle i'm not opposed to saddles i've actually been really interested in getting one um they're expensive though man like they are (laughs) an old setup it's like as much as anything else you know i've been looking at it yeah it's it's something don and i are going to dabble in next year um definitely with the camera gear i carry and stuff i would be very interested in it but um but no now right now i'm just hunting out of like a, a really lightweight mobile stand um the uh it's a lone wolf custom gear 0.5 i just got the mini sticks is all i carry and uh it's super lightweight um really easy to set and you know a lot of people i think who have been so used to hunting i just got a buddy into you know kind of mobile hunting this year and he's he's only hunted you know ladder stands his whole life or permanent stands and it's it's hard to kind of switch gears and think that you can get away with doing that all the time but like it's something I, you know, it's really weird at first, you know, walking in the first morning and hanging a stand right before you hunt, if you've never done it before, but the more you do it, it just, it becomes second nature. It becomes very easy. Like I tell guys like start at the bottom of that tree with a climber. I'll start over here with my stand. I guarantee I'll beat you to the top. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Oh, I've seen it. Yeah. (laughs) Practice makes perfect, man. It's what counts. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, um, I carry that, uh, you know, I obviously got a pack, that I uh, carry all my gear in, um, and that's about it. I keep it as minimalist and, like, as small a package as I can because, I, like I said, I want to be be able to move around and jump around quick. And um, a, a big part of – a big part of my success, actually, the last two years has been able – has been, been being able to move – stand sites at like the drop of a hat and the deer i killed last year um it was like i think november 6th and uh that morning i hunted over a scrape and up on this knob i could i watched all morning i watched like five or six bucks running this knob like probably 200 yards away from me and about 11 o'clock i decided well i'm gonna get down and move 
and uh i just walked right over there to where those deer were got downwind of it set up and within i think i was in the stand 40 minutes that buck come walking right right in where all those other deer were and got a, a 10 yard shot at him is that, is that that big one you got last year <clears throat> Yep. yep. Oh, geez. Yeah, my girl, my girlfriend was actually in the tree. I was just going to ask. I remember she was she was filming or something with for you, wasn't she? Or well, she tried to film, <laughs> <laughs> but she, yeah, that was one of her first experiences. She uh, she did great. Um, but yeah, it was, it was it was pretty cool. I actually I saw all those deer that morning, and then uh, we had talked about her coming with me that evening, and I was like, I was like kind of torn, like, oh man, do I drive home and get her, and then come all the way back? <laughs> And that's what I ended up doing, and uh, it worked out. Um, and then the deer I killed this year um, went in early, set up, and I set up. You know, I made a mistake. I set up kind of based on what the weatherman said the wind was going to be, right? And by this time, you know, I'm 11 days in. I'm tired. I'm making a bunch of bad decisions, <laughs> and uh, um, so it gets light out, and the wind is completely the opposite way that I thought it was going to be. And first thing in the morning, here comes a group of three does, bust me immediately. They didn't really freak out and snort like crazy. They just kind of all took off and went up this, uh, went up away from me across the creek. And at that moment, I decided I'm going to jump down and I'm going to just literally run over there. It's like 8 a.m. and hang this set in a new tree downwind of where those does were. You know, it's the rut, 20 minutes here could come a buck following those does you know yep. and plus if that's where the deer is moving i want to be downwind of that yep. Wind's not what i thought it was so i gotta i gotta change i can't just sit here and before i even got the stand hung is when that buck came walking in <laughs> but uh but yeah so being able to just move at the drop of a hat like that i think is is um kind of a foreign concept for a lot of guys but it's been very important to my success lately i guess I kind of say it's a little foreign to us, but it's one we're intrigued well, by. Well, actually, we did it this year, Don. That's well, what, yeah, with the tripod. Well, yeah, we, we did. did. We were yeah. able to move those tripods around. I was mentioning to you earlier, Josh, that we use in that swamp area. Um, yep. and, and that's what led to our success this year is we, we keep moving it to where we're just like you. The example you gave is similar to what Don and I experienced. We, we moved it to where we thought the deer activity was going to take place, and it did. Yep. Little tweaks. Yep. 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 For years, I would, you know hunting out of you know permanent stands and stuff i'd sit there and you know i'd go home and be like dad there are all these deer way over there like you know and then i'd go back to the same tree and watch them all over there again and it's like well, just go over there why aren't you going over there josh you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, sounds familiar you can't yeah you can't get them where they ain't that's right that's right yep, yep. um i i killed another uh an eight pointer back in one of the bigger eight pointers i've killed back in like 2008 um that was the same situation i was hunting um across this big swamp and i watched this big eight pointer chasing this doe back and forth all morning and about the fifth time i saw him run past this same tree i was like you know what i'm just gonna get down and go over there what are, you know he might run right back through here and sure enough he did and that's how i killed that deer too. holy so, smoke that's crazy yeah, yeah. so and it, it just it works out that way because you know i could do it on the ground but and you could just hunt from the ground, but I, I love hunting out of a tree stand. Makes it much easier to self-film. Yeah, it's very hard to self-film from the ground. So um, that's just kind of how I choose to do it. But you could literally be way more mobile, just still hunting, bouncing around on the ground. That's how that Zach 
Darren Ball, I think, from the hunting public. Yeah. He kills so many big deer. Just he doesn't even doesn't even bring a tree stand in the woods with him or nothing. No, hit so some like, of the videos those guys have. It's unbelievable. Oh, they're great. Man. They are yeah. unreal. Well, Josh, I I know we could talk all day, but we're gonna have to end it there. Uh, but we're we're super happy that you that you took the time to share with us and. And we're equally happy that that you're doing the work you're doing with your videos. They're instructive yeah. and uh, outstanding and, work and Josh. well done. Yeah. Thank you very much uh, for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to have you on again sometime, Josh. Seriously, um, and so. we look forward to seeing your future videos yeah, as well. Absolutely. And yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, and once again for our listeners, uh, make sure you check out. It's called Buckeye Bow Hunter, and Josh. It's Josh Grund. And yep. um, he just put one out today, as a matter of fact. And it's uh, one that should be seen. Yeah, it was a good one today. <laughs> so, and it, today is the 30th. So, yes, yeah. it is. Well, thank you. Yep. Thank you guys again. I really appreciate it. I'd, be, I'd love to come on again. Yeah, definitely, Josh. Whenever, and I'm in. All right. Okay. We'll, be, we'll be talking in the future then, Josh. Yes. Thanks. Thanks again, Josh. Appreciate it. All right. Well, that was a good time we had with Josh. Uh, we learned some things. We hope you learned some things. And if you haven't, you can absolutely learn some things, and I would say be entertained as well uh, if you check out some of his YouTube videos. Uh, he does a nice job. Yeah, he does. And, uh, and you know, one, Chris, one of the things I really like about him is, is the reality aspect of it. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah. he's sharing the details. The, the, the bad parts, too. I mean, things happen out there. Yeah. Yeah, when, uh, when there's problems, yeah. he's showing them. Yep. Uh, when, when it doesn't... When the deer doesn't just stride up and present itself, yeah. he shows you that too. Yeah. And, uh, well, he's it's real world is what you're seeing there. It's not staged, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, no, Josh does a great job. And he was a great guest, and, and I'd love to have him on again uh, to pick his brain a little bit. And I know he's a hell of a turkey hunter too, so maybe we'll have him uh, talk oh, turkey yeah. too. Yeah, we didn't even get into the turkey. No. I'm, sh- I'm sure we could do oh, it. Oh, and believe me, Josh could talk about turkey too. He has some great videos on that. Yeah, I could tell from talking to him off air, he's just as passionate about the turkey. Yeah, as, as yeah, he is, he is about definitely, the definitely. Anyway, hey, we'll leave it at that for now. This is it for us in December, so uh, we'll have to wish you a Merry Christmas now and uh, and hope you go and uh, get to see some of Josh's video. and uh, Yeah, and get out. And once again, as Don mentioned, happy holidays to you and your family, and get out in your 120 and do something. Thanks for listening to 120 Outdoors and our monthly podcast. Please like, subscribe, and leave us your comments while checking out our Facebook page. 